What's up, Church on the Trail? We are so excited to have y'all with us today. Today we have four special guests from 412 Student Ministry. We have Cole, Megan, Joshua, and Chase. They're going to tell you what's coming up at Church on the Trail. July 14th through the 21st is the Columbus Missions Trip. Join us right here in our own city as we partner with multiple organizations to serve our community. You can check the missions desk in the corner of the lobby for more details on events that interest you. There will also be a volunteer meeting immediately after service today for anyone who has signed up. Email Autumn if you have any questions. If you have made Jesus the leader and forgiver of your life, taking the God Plunge is the next step. If you are interested in participating, visit our church website to sign up for the next baptism on July 21st. There will also be a Kids God Plunge on July 28th. Please email Alice and Judah if you would like your child to participate. Attention all parents. Parents Night Out is coming up on July 26th from 6 to 10 p.m. at Church on the Trail. If you would love to have a night away from the kiddos or need to get some schools shopping out of the way, sign your child up now. Feel free to drop your child off and pick them up as you please. This event is open to 1 to 11 year olds. So don't you dare sneak them in if they ain't that age. Dinner will be provided, but if you plan on bringing a one to three year old, make sure to provide your own snack or dinner for them. Admission is 10 bucks a child. So you can visit our church website under the events page to register and that's how you do it. On July 27th at 8 a.m. there will be a men's breakfast here at Church on the Trail. If you have any questions about the breakfast, you can just email Richard. If you're a man, you better show up. If not, then we got you. <laughs> On August 6th at 7 p.m., our church will have a family movie night. We will be seeing Overcomer two weeks before it is released to the public. Tickets are $12, seats are limited. If you are interested, please visit the Connections desk in the lobby. In the seat back in front of you, you will see one of our connection cards. If you are a first-time guest or just want to let us know a little bit more about yourself, please take the time to fill one out. We would love to get to know you. If you have any more questions, visit our Connection desk out in the lobby. I think some of them have a future in the film industry. <laughs> um, good morning, y'all. My name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on the staff here at Church on the Trail. I'm thrilled that you're here. If this is your first time with us, uh, do what they said. Fill out a little connection card. Let us know that you were here, and we welcome you for sure. And the people that uh, are watching online, there's always folks watching online from from all over the place. I know if any of y'all remember Vince and Katie Meyer, they get PCS to 29 Palms, California. California. Um, they watch online. They've been gone for three years, and dear friends of ours all over the world are watching this every Sunday. It's so cool, the connectivity that we have. So anyway, we, we really do welcome you all. There's lots of places you could be, but God's got you here for a reason, and I think he's got a, a very appropriate message for us this morning. We're in week three of a series that we're calling Relationships by the Book, and it's not relationships by the world, and it's not relationships 
you know, by Fox News or CNN News or Dr. Phil or whatever. It's not, it's relationships. It's what this says about relationships. And it's not just uh, relationships between husband and wife. It's relationships between father, son, you know, mother, daughter, friends, brothers. It's, it's all, what does the scripture say about relationships? And so we talked about, in the first couple of weeks, we talked about um, sort of what men want. And then we talked sort of, the, in another week, we talked about what kind of what women want. Today we're going to talk about, uh, about true love. True love. I want you all to watch this. It's about a 60-second clip from The Princess Bride. Y'all listen to the words in this. Sir? Huh? We're in a terrible rush. Don't rush me, Sonny. You rush a miracle, man, you get right miracles. You got money? 65. I never worked for so little, except once, and that was a very noble cause. This is noble, sir. His wife is crippled. Children are on the brink of starvation. Are you a rotten liar? I need him to help avenge my father. Murdered these 20 years. Your first story was better. Where's that bellows credit? He probably owes you money, huh? Well, I'll ask him. He's dead. He can't talk. Ooh, but ooh, look who knows so much, huh? Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Now, mostly dead, he's slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. (laughs) Hey! Hello in there! Hey, what's so important? What you got here, that's worth living for. You heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Yes, honey. True love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT. Mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes ripe. They're so perky. I love that. So we're not talking about mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches. We are going to talk about true love. He said, what you got worth living for? Y'all heard him say, what you got worth living for? And the answer was true love. And I want to, so I want to talk about today, I want to spend today talking about that. What does the scripture say, if anything, about true love? Does it exist? And if it exists, true, real, authentic love, if it exists, then, <clears throat> then what's the purpose of it? And I think, isn't that really what we all want? Men, women, male or female, it doesn't really matter. And yeah, it'd be nice to be stinking rich, but really all of us would say, I think what we really really want is true love, a soulmate, so to speak, a soulmate, so to speak, somebody that is, will, that is a kindred spirit that will walk through life with us. And that is not some youthful fantasy that we grow out of. We, you and me, we are designed by God for that kind of a relationship. And we want to look today at what the scripture says about that. And Jesus, guys, one time asked him about the meaning of life. And the answer, to know God intimately and to make him known. In John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Y'all, there's about three different kinds of love 
that are spoken about in the Scripture. Particularly in the New Testament, there's three different kinds of love that are spoken about. Eros love, philos love, or philos love, and agape love. And, and, and eros is physical intimacy. Eros. It's physical int- intimacy. It, it includes sexuality, uh, but it also includes face-to-face, staring deep into each other's eyes sorts of feelings. It is the, it is the chemistry kind of component of love. And our society today, culture, our culture says to us today, at least it seems to claim that that is true love. And tons of folks go through physical relationship after physical relationship after physical relationship trying to find true love. And then philos love is, is like it's companionship. It's, it's shoulder to shoulder. It's, it's comrades in arms working together for some, uh, some unified, some common goal. And that mutual support that brothers in arms have, of course that's a powerful thing. And that is, of course, essential to a relationship, but it's not true love any more than eros is. But agape love, agape love is true love. Well, what, what is that? It is, here's what it is. It's more than chemistry. It's more than companionship. It's more than uh, just being a kindred spirit. It's, it's, it's something that only Christians can really have. A non-Christian can display, can have eros. A non-Christian can display phylos. But only a Christian can have agape love. John, the Gospel of John, fourth book in the, scripture, in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John 4.8 says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And the word that's used in both of those places for love is agape. The Greek word is agape. And we are commanded, me and you are commanded to agape love each other because Christ agape loved us. In John 13, 35, he says they will know, this is a huge passage in the scripture, they will know that we are Christians by our agape love. They will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. I want to give you four or five points today. Number one is this, that true love is priceless. And we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Probably if you're married, probably that passage, that chapter was read by somebody at your wedding. It's kind of commonly been known as the love chapter. But it's written to the Corinthian church. Paul writes this, this letter, uh, one of two or three letters that he writes to the church at Corinth. Um, and this chapter 13 is kind of called the love chapter. Well, the church in Corinth had been very, very, in an unhealthy way, wrapped around the spiritual sign gifts, speaking in tongues and prophecy and the gifts of knowledge. They were in an unhealthy way building those gifts up as if they were the whole reason for everything. So that's kind of the backdrop of chapter 13. And so I want to read you the first three verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Here's some good news for us all. 
The Bible definitely says that true love exists. This entire chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is dedicated to that. And these first three verses kind of give us the value, or they begin at least, to give us the value of love, the true value of love. No matter what else you have, it's almost what he's saying here, no matter what else you have, if you don't have love, you ain't got nothing. I want to tell you a story from the early 1900s, 1921, a guy named Lewis Laws. I don't imagine any of y'all have ever heard of Lewis Laws, but he was the warden at Sing Sing Prison, Sing Sing Prison in New York. Sing Sing Prison about 30 miles up from uh, New York City. It's up the river. If you've ever heard the term, you get sent up the river, that comes from Sing Sing. Sing Sing was a tough, rough place. The worst of the worst were sent to Sing Sing Sing. Albert Fish, who was the original Hannibal the Cannibal, was sent to Sing Sing. Sing Sing was built in a granite quarry where the prisoners were forced every day to break up rock. But when Warden Lewis retired 20 years later, uh, that prison had, had become this model of a modern, humane institution. And people all the time claimed that Lewis Laws, who was the warden, claimed that he was responsible. But he always insisted that it was his wife, Catherine, Catherine Laws, that she was the one that was responsible. Catherine was a young mama, had three little kids when Lewis, her husband, became the warden of Sing Sing, and everybody warned Catherine from the very beginning, don't you dare step foot inside the walls of that that prison, but that didn't stop her. When they had their very first basketball game, she and her kids show up and they sit down, and her attitude was this. She said, my husband and I are going to take care of these men, and I trust and I believe that the Lord is going to have them to take care of me, and I ain't going to worry about it. She insisted on becoming acquainted, on talking to and hanging out with the men and understanding and becoming acquainted with their records. She discovered one convicted murderer that was blind, and so she paid this guy a visit. Holding his hand in her hand, she said to him, Do you read Braille? He said, What is Braille? She taught him how to read Braille. Later on, she met a guy in the prison that was, uh, that was a deaf mute. And so she, sign, she le- taught him sign language, and she learned sign language. And many people all the time said that Catherine Laws was the hands and the feet of Christ come alive in Sing Sing from 1921 to 1937. One by one by one by one, she touched the lives of really the hardest criminals in all of the United States, murderers, rapists, robbers, thugs, all of them. She taught these hardened criminals at the end of the day. She taught these guys at Sing Sing Prison that though society had abandoned them, there was a God who cared for them and who still wanted them as his own. And then in 1937, Catherine Laws was killed in a car accident. And so the next morning, Lewis Laws, her husband, who was a warden, did not come to work. And so you had this guy that stepped in and kind of was an interim for, for about a week, was the interim warden. And he, he noticed almost immediately that the prison knew something was wrong. They called, all the prisoners called her Our Lady. They called her My Lady, each one of them. And so all these guys, hardest guys on the planet, they wept. And this interim warden noticed this weeping. And the following day, uh, Catherine's body was resting in a casket at, at their home, which was about three-quarters of a mile up the road 
from the prison and the acting warden as he took his morning walk, he notices this large crowd of prisoners up by the main gate. Toughest uh, crowd he'd ever seen and they're all weeping and they're all sad and they're all grieving and they're all mourning because their lady had died. And so he knew how much that they loved Catherine Laws and they all promised him that they would return to their cells and no one would dishonor their trust because of her. And so he turned and he faced the guys and he said, all right, guys, you can go. Just be sure that you check in tonight. And he opened the gate and he let these guys walk without a guard the three-quarters of of a mile up the road to the house to pay their final respects to their lady. One by one, he noticed them walking up. He even noticed that there was a blind guy that the other prisoners were, were kind of walking up, holding his arms, guiding him up the road. And that evening, when it was over, every single one of those prisoners, many under life sentence without parole, every one of them showed back up at the prison. They all checked in. And it has been said for years and years and years that God lived in Sing Sing prison through the life and the testimony of Catherine Laws. And they say that, y'all, because that is the kind of love that Christ has for me and you. That is true love. That is agape love played out in the life of this woman at Sing Sing Prison. And as Christians, we are to model that kind of love just like Catherine Laws did. Number two, true love, true agape love is, is, is true period. True love is love, period. It is, not, it is not love if something. It is not love because of something. It's love, period. And it's going to be tested. And it's going to be anybody that tells you otherwise is just lying. The devil is going to tell you otherwise, but they're lying. It is love, period. It's going to be tested. It's going to be tried. And that's going to happen every day. It is hard work. You're going to hear people say that love means never having to say that I'm sorry. That's a lie. Reality is love, true love, means being the first one that says I'm sorry. It takes real courage, real effort, real honest-to-God effort to look at somebody that you love desperately and say, in this moment, I don't really like you right now. Swallow your pride and tell them that you love them. Tell them that you love them. It takes commitment. You tell them that you cherish them, even in the moment when you don't like them. Tell them that you would sacrifice anything for them, that you are committed to to this relationship and very, very sorry that something has come between you. Can we please talk and work this out? True love does not refuse to talk things out. This, I don't imagine any of you have ever seen this. This is a ketubah. It's a Jewish wedding contract. Some of you know, some of you don't know that I grew up Jewish. Susan and I were married in a synagogue and this is This is the contract for March 20th, 1988 that we signed in Hebrew, right? And so there are many times that Susan would say to me, I love you, I just really don't like you very much, but I signed that piece of paper 30 years ago. And I got it still to this day. So that true love, you know, that's comical, but true love says, I love you no matter what. And I'm committed no matter what. And we're talking husband and wife, but that is true between friends, between true Christian brothers 
in arms. Look, two young people, let's say, get married when they're, they're, they fall in love and they're deeply in love and they, and they assume that that love is going to remain their entire lives unless they do something actively kind of to jack it up. And the truth is that love takes commitment and constant, unceasing hard work. Nobody says it's easy. It takes two people that are committed to each other for better or worse, means for better or worse. Life's not going to just be a bed of roses. It's not a bed of roses in two friends, you know, much less a husband and a wife. But it's two people that are committed to love each other the way that Christ loved us, sacrificially, selflessly, passionately, and single-mindedly. If you love somebody, if, I love them if, or if you love somebody because of, if I love you because of fill the blank in with something, whatever's in that blank, at some point, that's the source of the love, it's going to be gone. And if that source of the love that is not real is gone, then the love is gone. Only true agape love is forever. Number three, true love, again, is going to be tested. Look at what the next three or four verses in in, in, uh, chapter 13 say. And y'all think about these words now. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing or it keeps no record of wrongs. Think about that. It keeps no record. You know what that means? That means it doesn't bring up what you did or what she or he did six years ago. Does God keep a record of your wrongs? Does he throw it back up in your face? If, you're, if, if something you did is getting thrown back up in your face, it ain't God doing that, I'm telling you. Because when he says your sin is taken as far as the east is from the west, that means it's taken as far as the east is from the west. So true love, true agape love, keeps no record of wrongs but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And Paul is saying here, to love with a love that is never rude, with a love that does not insist on its own way, with a love that's never irritable, it's never resentful. In fact, it never wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. That standard that is written in those four, three or four verses, it seems impossible. To me, it seems on my own, with Ed's strength, it's absolutely impossible. Ask her, do I ever wake up on the wrong side of the bed? But Paul set the bar right there. And the bar is Christ's love. It sets the bar. You and I as believers have got to look and kind of be focused on the length and the breadth and the depth and the perseverance of Christ's love as the standard. It is the standard. That is what those three or four verses do. Those verses describe what true love looks like. Jesus had this agape love and he taught that a true love relationship ought to look just the same. The problem is that society, the culture that we live in, it it doesn't teach us to look for those things. Our culture, our society teach us to look at at, at all kind of other things, to look at appearance, to look at popularity, to look at money, to look at somebody's job, to look at the car they drive. All that other stuff, those aren't the qualities that God looks at, and those should not be the qualities that we look at. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says this, The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
Y'all, I want to tell you another story. I read a book that Max Lucado probably wrote 25 years ago. The name of the, y'all ever heard of Max Lucado? That was underwhelming. The name of the book was And the Angels Were Silent. And he, he recounts this wartime story. And I want to tell y'all this story because it kind of makes this point. So this, this soldier, his name is John Blanchard. John Blanchard, he stands up from the bench. He straightens up his army uniform and he studies this crowd of people that are making their way through Grand Central Station in New York. And he, he's looking for the girl whose heart that he knew but whose face he had never seen. And he's looking for this girl that, with the rose. The name of this story is kind of the rose. He's looking for this girl with the rose. And, he, and, and John's interest in this girl had begun about a little over a year earlier in a library in Florida. <clears throat> he took a book off the shelf, John Blanchard did, took a book off the shelf and he found himself intrigued, not really by the words of the book, but by this pencil writing that was in the margins of the book, this soft handwriting that for him reflected this thoughtful and insightful mind. And in the front of the book, he discovered... Uh, the previous owner's name, and her name was Miss Hollis Maynell, Hollis Maynell. And with time, he figured out and, and figured out and located where she lived. He's in Florida. He figured out that she lived in New York City, and he wrote her a letter, and he introduced himself, and he invited her into uh, like a, I don't know if you call it a pen pal kind of relationship, invited her to correspond to his letter. And the very next day, he was shipped off in, during World War II, and over the course of the next 13 months, they wrote back and forth to each other. They got to know each other through the mail. And each letter was like a seed falling on a fertile heart. Those are his words. And so a romance was budding. And Blanchard asked her to send him a picture. And she refused to send him a picture. She said, it shouldn't matter what I look like if you really cared about me. But then the day finally came that they were going to meet. He's coming back from uh, Europe 13 months later, and they scheduled this first meeting, and this first meeting is at 7 o'clock in the evening at Grand Central Station, and she, uh, she says to him, you'll recognize me, she wrote in a letter, you'll recognize me because I'll be the, the, the young lady wearing a, uh, a rose, a red rose on my lapel. And so it's 7 o'clock, and he's in the Grand Central, and he's looking for this girl with the red rose and with the heart that he loved, but with a face that he had never seen. And Lucado, Max Lucado wrote in the book, he said, I'm going to let Blanchard tell you what happened. And so here's, these are Blanchard's words, Lieutenant Blanchard's. He said, a young woman was coming towards me, her figure long and slim, her blonde hair lay back in curls from the delicate ears, her eyes were blue as flowers, her lips and chin had a gentle firmness, and in her pale green suit, she was like springtime come alive. I stared towards her, entirely forgetting to notice that she was not wearing a rose. As I moved, a small provocative smile curved her lips. Going my way, sailor, she murmured. Almost uncontrollably, I made one step closer to her, and then I saw Hollis Maynell. She was standing almost directly behind the girl in the dress. A woman well past 40, that's not old. A woman well past 40, she had graying hair tucked under a worn-out hat, she was more than plump, her thick ankled feet thrust into low-heeled shoes. The girl in the green suit was walking quickly away, and I felt as though I was split in two. So keen was my desire to follow her, and yet so deep was my longing for the woman whose spirit had truly companioned me and upheld my spirit. And there she stood. Her pale, plump face was gentle 
and sensible. Her gray eyes had a warm and kind twinkle. I didn't hesitate. My fingers gripped the small, worn, blue leather copy of the book that was to identify me to her. This would not be love, but it would be something maybe even more precious, a friendship for which I had been and must ever be grateful. I squared my shoulders and I saluted and held out the book to the woman, even though while I spoke, I felt choked by the bitterness of my disappointment. I'm Lieutenant John Blanchard, and you must be Miss Maynell. I'm so glad you could meet me. May I take you to dinner, he said. And the woman's face kind of smiled, and she said, I don't know what this is all about, son, but the young lady in the green suit that just went by, she begged me to wear this rose on my lapel, and she said, if you were to ask me out for dinner, that I should tell you that she was waiting in the restaurant across the street, that this was some kind of a test. And y'all, it's, it's, it's not difficult to understand and admire Miss Maynell's wisdom because y'all, the true nature of a heart is seen in its response to what's unattractive, not to what is attractive. Christ loved you and me when we were unattractive. Y'all, it's easy to love somebody when they're lovable and attractive, not so much when they're unattractive and unlovable. Christ did not love us if... He does not love us because of something. He loves us, period. True love. That's true love. You're not perfect. And and no matter how attractive you are, there's ugliness there. And Christ knows every bit of that ugliness and loves you anyway. He loves, period. If you're in a relationship that models Christian love, that means that you don't have to pretend to be perfect. We ain't going to let you in this church if you come in here all perfect. That is not who we are because that's not who who people are. So if you're in a, in a relationship that models Christ-like love, you don't have to be perfect. And the other person will always love you, period. And you will always love them, period. You will always protect them, no matter how unattractive they may become to you. You don't love someone because they're attractive or if they love you. You don't love someone just because they love you. You love them, period. If you make that commitment... You sign the piece of paper, Susan. If you make, if you make that commitment to love, it's going to be tested. Often it's going to be tested. Immediately and then every day thereafter probably. And you can't, if you're just faking that love period, it's going to fail that test. And as Christians, we are called to love everyone in that manner to genuinely, authentically care about everyone, no matter how unattractive they may be. And if you can't genuinely, unconditionally love the people that are close to you, you needn't bother even trying to love the, the, the nosy, irritating neighbor that lives next door because you'd just be faking it. And true, authentic, agape love, love wins. It wins. Paul goes on in verse 8, three words at the end of verse 8. Love never fails. Three powerful words and people read that and they interpret that to mean that love is, is like ruggedly enduring. That it never gives out on you. And that while that may be true, that verse means a whole lot more than that because it's in the active tense. And that verse really means true love wins. Y'all, one of my favorite uh, uh, athletes is a tennis player named Yannick Noah. Most of y'all are probably too young to have any idea who Yannick Noah was. But Yannick Noah was discovered in Cameroon when he was 11 years old, and he was discovered by a tennis player named Arthur Ashe. And if you don't know who Yannick Noah was, you definitely will know who Arthur Ashe was. 
But Arthur Ashe was one of the first African-American super crazy unbelievable tennis players and Yannick Noah uh, really was the, the next one in that line. Noah won the French Open in 1987. He won 27 men's singles titles later, and, and he, uh, he was thir- ranked third in the world in 1983, which was the year I graduated from high school. And then he retired eight years later in 1991, and he began, oddly enough, a music career. And he founded a couple of uh, charities that still exist today that, that provide facilities and stuff for uh, young athletes, young underprivileged athletes. And, and when he played tennis professionally, he was known for, I don't know, three or four or five different things. Number one is that he was the first African-American tennis player since Arthur Ashe to win a Grand Slam. He was famous, and I'm terrible in tennis, so I'm probably not even going to know what I'm saying, but he, he was known for when he was up at the net, when somebody hit a lob over his head, that he would turn his back towards the net, run back, and hit the ball back between his legs. They even still refer to that as a Yannick when people do it today. He was known as this player with heart. The second tournament that he one was in Calcutta, and the players were staying in a hotel called the Grand Hotel. And Yannick Noah met this rickshaw driver the day that he got there. And the next day, uh, the rickshaw driver said, may I drive you to the tennis? And so Yannick said, yes. Yeah. So he gets in the rickshaw, and that became his preferred, um, his preferred means of transportation while he was there. And he won that tournament, and he found that rickshaw's house, and he went to that rickshaw's home, and he gave that guy and his family, half the prize money. He was famous for his hot and cold play, and when he was on, he was inhumanely good. And when he was off, I could have beaten him. And here's, I tell you all that about him to tell you this. His most famous expression, and that he was real, what he was really known for, is that he said, I play better when I'm in love. He said, I play better when I'm in love. I love that quote. I've found the same thing to be true. I'm a better husband. I'm a better man. I'm a better pastor. All of that because I'm in love with her. All of that because I'm in love with y'all. All of that because I'm in love with the people on the streets that we see on Monday nights. All, we, are, we are, God does something when you agape love other people. Love wins. Love wins. It is what takes the prison world that we seem to sometimes live in and makes it heaven on earth because love infiltrates that. It is what brings light and warmth and and depth to our experience. When God's real, true, authentic love is shining through us, that's when our game is on. And y'all, you can't have that horizontal love relationships without a vertical relationship love relationship that is right with the Lord. So number four, love wins. Number five is this. Love is what we're looking for. The last couple of verses of this passage, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Even as I have been fully known, so now faith, hope, and love abide or remain, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Remember this Corinthian church was obsessed with the gifts, the sign gifts. They were obsessed with the tongues and, the, and all of that stuff. They were wrapped up in prophecy and that. And Paul is saying in, in verse 13, while faith, hope, and love stand all, above all the spiritual gifts, almost sort of displacing, but not completely, tongues, prophecy, and knowledge, the greatest of all of it is love. 
in that statement, Paul is raising this critical question to this church at Corinth. What was its highest priority? What is our highest priority? What you got to live for? You saw it in the Princess Bride. Paul was unwavering. The highest virtue for them and the highest virtue for all of y'all and me is for us to love one another. And to be honest, we are fragile humans, incapable of really meeting that bar that he sets in the first three verses, incapable of being totally selfless, incapable of being of totally giving ourselves to one another completely. Only Christ can do that. He is the model. He is a perfect template for that. And we were created to be in that kind of a relationship that just got busted in the garden and we live in a fallen world and that hole in our heart cannot be perfectly filled while we're on earth. But it is what we're looking for. The last thing that I want to talk to you all about today is this, is how does this play out? Living out true love, what does that look like? Love is best seen as devotion in action. It's a verb. Love, love is not exclusively based on how we feel. We got to act often. Often we got to act despite the way that we feel. And certainly emotion is involved, but it cannot be the only criteria for love. True devotion always leads to action. Look at what John said in 1 John 3.18. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Let us not love with just words, but in action. True Christian love is going to manifest itself in the life of this church this week with this Columbus 19 mission trip. Y'all, it's a week chock full of being the hands and the feet of Christ and locking arms with the people in another church to do that. That's almost unheard of. And we're doing it from can to cane every day this week. There is, and you've gotten emails about it, there's a corner out there and you have opportunities to serve everywhere. There's copies of this. This is a schedule out there. And there's things like going to the jail today at 2 o'clock, going to the jail next week, going down to the Job house on 5th Avenue, and, which is a transitional home, and, and, and cooking out with them, going to the Grace house, which is another transitional home um, this week, and, and cooking out with them. It's serving on the streets with the homeless ministry. It's going to 15 fire stations and taking lunch to them. It's going to the hospital and, and taking lunch to the people that work there and, to, and going to the, police, uh, to the police department and taking meals to the police officers. It is, it is activity after activity after activity of being the, the hands and the feet of Christ in a lost and broken world. I, in, I cannot encourage you enough to jump into this and just do something. Just do something. It will change it will change you when you serve another human being. When love becomes not an emotion, but when it becomes an action verb, God does stuff inside of you. He does. And if you've never experienced that, just trust me on that one and just jump in and do that. And so th this morning, look, we've talked and we've discussed a lot about God and about heaven because God is the only source of true love. I said it a little while ago, not love if, not love because of. It is, it, is, it is God who is that source. Anything that we lean on, anything that we find here on earth is only just a hint, just only a little glimpse of what that really looks like. Verse, um, verse 12, I think, talks about looking through a dimly lit mirror, and that's what he's talking about. But I want to give you a warning. 
a warning, and this is the warning. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. That's where cults come from, y'all. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. Love is the greatest thing on earth. It just needs to be founded and grounded in Christ. In the end, the love that we have for each other and the love that we have for God is all that we're going to take out of this world. Don't land yourself at, at your deathbed having not loved on this earth. But have this understanding that that horizontal relationship, friend to friend, brother to sister, brother to brother, husband to wife, wife to husband, it is never going to be right if that one is not right. You have, you've got to understand that. Because he, in my relationship with my wife, his love allows me to love Susan the way that I ought to. His love allows me to love Zach and Will the way that I ought to. His love allows me to love y'all the way that I ought to. That is the source. That is the source. Give yourself up to a passionate pursuit of that agape love for the people of the world. Look, God only has one measuring stick, and that is that true love wins. I want you to understand this last thing, and that is this. There's one little line in, in that 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and, and it is that God holds no records of the wrongs. I think we jack that up a lot. I think that people walk in, they say, I invite them to church. Well, I can't walk. If I walk through the doors, the building's going to collapse. You just don't know what I've done. No, you know what? I probably don't know what you've done. You don't know what I've done either. He knows what both of us has done. But love keeps no record of wrongs. If I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. When, you, when somebody tells you, well, I can forgive that, but I can't forget it, then you didn't forgive it. You didn't forgive it. What if God said, what if God, what if God said to you, I'm putting you on the spot, bro. What if God said to you, I can forgive you, but I can't forget it? That ain't the way forgiveness works, y'all. That death on, that minimizes, why did Christ die on the cross? That is why he died on the cross, because you know what he did? He moved the sin as far as the east is from the west. That means it's as if it did not happen, y'all. And do you have consequences of that sin? Of course you do. But, but because worldly consequences, but the consequences of the death on that cross and you accepting that for you and Christ living inside of you, guess what happens? I get to live forever with him. Y'all, that's the gospel. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And that's what I bring to the table. And that death takes care of that forever. And so I, my, my ask today is for if you've never said yes to that offer, just consider it. I'm not beating you on the head with the Bible. Consider the truth. And the truth is that cross took care of. Y'all pray with me. And you know what? If you accepted that today, I want you to pray this with me. You can pray it out loud or not. 